You may be seated. Our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. And for those of you who remain, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi. We'll be looking at the last verse of chapter 2 and the first three verses of chapter, the first five verses of chapter 3, even though it says 17 through 35. I thought I put the colon in there, but I did not. It's uh, the first five verses of chapter 3. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, this is God's word. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit As a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Lord Almighty, we ask that you would teach us And show us who you are and what you are doing, how you are at work. That we might be encouraged, that we might be strengthened, that we might be convicted, that we might draw near to you and find healing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I like to... I like to fix things. I like things to work. It's one of the reasons I went into engineering in college, because you learn how to do more of that. It's one of the reasons I went into ministry. I want to help people find healing. I want to help people have better marriages, to have better relationships with their children. I, I like to fix things. But the longer I've been in ministry and the longer I've lived, the more I've realized that I can't fix anything. I can't fix myself and my own weaknesses and failures and idols and tendencies. I can't fix my family. I can't fix this church. 
can't fix the world. I can't make what happened in Buffalo or Texas, these tragic shootings, yet again. I can't make that better. I can't heal the damage that's been done in Ukraine and in Africa and elsewhere in the world, in the Middle East, through war and bloodshed. I cannot fix it. So much, isn't there, that needs fixing. You might find yourself looking out at the world, reading again in the news of yet another tragedy. You might receive in your own life news of more hardship, and you might, with Israel, grow cynical that anything will ever get better, that anything ever will be fixed you might begin to wonder where God has been and what he's doing and why he's let it go on for so long. And you might even start to wonder if he's not actually evil, whether or not he actually delights in these horrific things. And you might start to ask in cynicism, where is this God of justice? And yet God sends the prophet Malachi to Israel with a word for them and a word for us, a word that is given in the midst of brokenness and tragedy, in the midst of hardship and difficulty, in the midst of misery and shame. And the prophet Malachi comes with this word, that no matter what things may seem like, God is at work. He is at work in renewing everything, in restoring everything, in redeeming everything to himself. This can be hard to believe, and so we're going to dig into what Malachi says. We're going to ask three questions. Where is God in a sinful world? What is he doing to make it better? And when will he be finished? First, let's look at this. Where is God in a sinful, broken, and miserable world? It's a legitimate question to ask. Can God be just and still allow evil to continue? But that's not what the Israelites are doing here. You'll see this question all throughout Scripture. Job asks it. The psalmist asks it. God, where are you? Why have you allowed this? How long? But that's not what Israel is doing in the day of Malachi. They are beginning to weary the Lord with their cynicism. Not that God can grow tired, but that their words are such 
are at such odds with what God has said, with what God is doing, with who God is, that God may stop bearing patiently with these awful words and act. But Israel doesn't take Malachi's warning. You have wearied God. They don't take that to heart. They're like, they, they, how, how have we even bothered? To, how have we wearied God? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and that he delights in them. And by asking with cynicism, where is this God of justice? In doing so, they have taken who God is, who he has said that he is, what he has done, all of his word, and they have cast it aside and they said, God doesn't love righteousness. He doesn't love beauty. He doesn't love truth. He, he loves evil. Look at how the evil prosper. That must be what God loves. They're not far from saying, so let us go and do evil, that good might result. They've asked cynically, where is this God? And in doing so, what they have done is they've looked at the God who has revealed himself to be the God of justice, the God of truth, the God of righteousness, and they have set themselves up as judge over him. And they've begun to act and speak as if they think their sense of justice is better than God's, that their sense of righteousness is better than God's, that their understanding of what is true and beautiful is better than the Lord's. They're essentially saying, God, if you're so great, if you're so holy, if you're so righteous, if you're so good, why don't you show up and fix all this? And what God says to them in verse 2 of chapter 3 is, what if I did? What if I did show up? What if I did appear in all of my righteousness, in all of my holiness, in all of my goodness, and in all of my beauty? What if I did? Who among you would still be standing? Who among you would be left? This is is the conceit of the complaining and grumbling heart. Not just that we know better than God, but that we are better than God. So that when He shows up to bring justice, to bring righteousness, everybody else will suffer the consequences, but not us. what God is saying in this is the reason he has a good and holy and gracious and loving and kind and beautiful and glorious reason to delay showing up in justice. Because if he shows up in justice, none of us would be left. Each and every one of us have transgressed his holy way. Each and every one of us have pursued our own desires. Each and every one of us have done 
what we thought was right, with no regard to what God says is right. God says, the reason I hold off, the reason I don't come, the reason I don't show up in all my glory with all of my justice is for your sake. Because I have deep love and care for you. And so when we look out at the world and we see all of these horrific things that cause us to wonder where God is, there is a choice that we make, sometimes on purpose and sometimes without even thinking. A choice to to look at these things and draw near to God and say, God, I know who you say you are. I know that you are the God of righteousness and justice and goodness and truth. And I just don't understand. Help me. Help us. Bring good to bear so that this evil would not triumph. There's a way to go to God in faith. Or there's a way to go to the Lord in cynicism. Clearly, God, you aren't who you say you are. You don't do what you say you will do. And we start to second-guess God. We start to second-guess that He is good, that He is righteous, that He is holy, that He is beautiful, that He is loving. And we risk wearying God with words like that. What is going on in your life and in your world right now that might tempt you to second-guess God? There's no shortage of hardship. I can hardly bring myself to read the articles about what has taken place in Texas so not to have to experience that grief again. Some of you don't have to go to the news to find grief. It is weighing heavily on you in the midst of your own day-to-day existence. And these things are horrible, tragic, heavy, In the midst of that, you hear what God says to you. The reason I don't show up in all of my glory and in all of my justice and in all of my majesty to make it all go away is for your sake. Because I care for you. Now, if he cares so much, what is God doing to make it better? One of the things that the Old Testament prophets did so well was they would come to the people of Israel and they would say, you think this is bad? Have you even noticed this? They pointed out this tendency of ours to really underestimate how bad things really are. How grievous sin really is. How miserable this estate can really be. 
And when we can numb our experience of reality with wealth, or with pleasure, or with media, we don't give it much thought. But sometimes things come upon us and it gives us pause. Maybe it might cause us to see, maybe I don't even know how bad things really, really are. In fact, they're so grievous, they're so terrible, they are so miserable that God says to the prophet Malachi and elsewhere, you can't do anything about it, but I can and I will. I am coming, says the Lord, but not in the way you expect, not with my justice, but with my mercy. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Which messenger is this? We read about it in the passage from the Gospel of Mark. This messenger was John the Baptist, the last of the the old covenant prophets, if you will. And he came preaching a message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. A messenger to prepare the way of the Lord that he is coming in mercy and with grace to bring renewal and redemption. And the Lord, says Malachi, whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The implication here isn't Uh, suddenly in time, but in in a way that you can't even imagine in an unexpected or surprising way. You're going to look up and you're like, there's the Lord? How did he do that? He's going to show up in his temple. And he does. And he did. In ways that we can't even begin to imagine. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. This, there are two messengers in this passage. There's the messenger who's preparing the Lord's way, and there's the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, who is the Lord, who shows up in his temple. He shows up as a babe in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, walking among us as the Gospel of John says, tabernacling among us. He comes in the temple of his body. Who could have imagined? What what person could have concocted such an incredible thing that God would clothe himself with flesh and come preaching good news? The kingdom of God is here, bringing renewal and redemption to all who have ears to hear, hearts to believe. He comes to the physical temple in Jerusalem and overturns the corrupted tables of the money changers who barred the way for worshipers to come and receive God's mercy unless they paid the high price. And he says, this is not who God is. And even when he has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he sends his Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to dwell in his people, his church, his holy temple. Coming with the sound of a great wind and the 
appearance of tongues of fire to dwell among his apostles and to dwell among all of his people forever. We might be the people of God in whom his spirit dwells. He comes to make it better by coming to renew and restore broken and wicked sinners, to purify his people and to make them his own again. This is what he says. Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? Not if he comes in judgment, but he's not just like a refiner's fire. He's like a fuller's soap and he can refine and to purify his people. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they'll stop offering this false and polluted worship. But they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. They will offer worship that is pleasing to the Lord. The Lord comes to do the work of renewal in his people, and he is still doing that now. He's renewing us, reforming us, shaping us, that we, clothed in his righteousness, might learn to offer lives of worship that are pleasing to him. Not to earn his favor, not to keep his justice at bay. But because of the great work that he has done in us for his own name's sake. Out of his grace, out of his forgiveness, out of his kindness, out of his mercy, God is at work to renew us. And it is true. He does not stop every evil thing that could come our way. And as we read in the scriptures, from Job to Revelation and beyond, we know, even if we don't have eyes to see, there are bigger questions at stake than our own personal peace and comfort. Yet our God, who is the God who can refine and purify even the most wicked of sinners, is a God who isn't controlled by the evil of this world but is able to turn it even for the good of his people, to use even those tragic things we encounter to refine his people, to shape them, to call them back into his presence, to be renewed and restored in him. And so those tragic things that we see are not cause for us to cry out in cynicism, where are you, God? To cry out in faith and draw near to him. Come help us, Lord. He does. He's given us a name that we can call on him with. Emmanuel, God, with us. To renew and restore. Where Is God renewing you now? Pruning can be painful. 
I have a whole bunch of bushes in my yard that need a whole lot of pruning. And it's painful, I'm sure, not just for the bush, but it's painful for me because some of them are holly bushes and I just don't want to deal with them. Yeah, if you don't, they grow wild, they grow crazy, they get diseased, they can even die. God, his care and concern for you is such that he is willing to refine you even with fire, to purify you even with fuller's soap, to prune you. In the whole person, not just in your behaviors, but in the very desires of your heart. Where is God doing that in your life now? Do you have eyes to see that God is doing what he's promised to do? This is why the scriptures tell us that the righteous, the righteous like these purified sons of Levi who will offer up offerings in righteousness, the righteous of the Psalms and Proverbs who call on the name of the Lord. This is why the Scripture says the righteous aren't those who do all the right things at all the right times. The righteous are those who live by faith in a God who can make even the most wicked, rebellious sinner a righteous, pure child of God. Where is He doing this in you? today. Because there is coming a time when he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God will finish what he started. And sometimes we can see his delay in bringing justice to this world as a reason for us to delay, to take a hands-off, laissez-faire approach to life and say, well, I guess that's just the way it is. And and that's not what he's called us to do and to be in this world. Because what he tells the Israelites and us is that he is coming again. He has come in mercy and in grace, but he is coming again in justice. Then, at a later time, I will draw near to you for judgment. And he comes against those who do not fear him. Against the sorcerer, those who thought they could in their own power control the world and take the place of God. Those who swear falsely, those who lie and say God is who he isn't, that good is evil and evil is good. Those who testify falsely about their neighbor and don't know the truth that could set them free. Against the adulterers, those who live for their own pleasure Those who break faith for their own gain. Those who oppress the hired worker. Don't pay him what his wages deserve. Those who oppress the widow and the fatherless. Those vulnerable in our midst who can't stand up for themselves. God is coming. He will judge with justice and righteousness those who oppress the weak and the vulnerable those who thrust aside the sojourner, the immigrant, and the alien, who treat them as less than human. All those who do not fear me, God says, I am coming and I will bear witness against them. 
And that's a sobering thought. And we should not shy away from it. And there's a few things that we see in this. One, God hasn't forgotten his justice. He will set everything right. He delays for good. He can be gracious and kind. He can open the door to repentance and faith. He can raise up worshipers who fear him. The day is coming when he will call every secret into the light. Everyone will give an account. And those who do not fare well are those who do not fear him, who do not love the things he loves, who use people, who seek their own gain, who deal falsely because they don't believe God is who God says he is. There is an encouragement in this, that if God is at work, Renewing and restoring a people for himself. We don't have to wait until that day to start moving in that direction. And to reflect who God is to the world. To live in fear and reverence of God. And to care for the widow and orphan. To care for the alien and the sojourner. To seek purity in our relationships. To speak truth To not try to control all the things in our own power. But to leave it to God who judges justly. There is a calling for us to grow so in Christ that we reflect His beauty, His glory, His goodness, His truth. So that all who see, see Christ in that. And be drawn to him to learn to fear him so that they might know the mercy and grace of God. This is what our Lord Jesus Christ did. He came and he preached good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. God is calling you into his presence. Come, be near to me. Fear me. Worship me. Have my righteousness, know my goodness, my beauty, my truth now, while it's still called today. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. As long as it's today, as long as God delays, His kind patience keeps the door open for renewal, for redemption, for restoration, for all who hear and all who believe him. May we all have ears to hear this good news. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, these are hard words and sobering words, for we are reminded that you are a God of justice and you hate the oppression of the, of the weak and the frail. You hate the sin and the wickedness that pervades this world and you will bring it into judgment. You love those you made in your image. You call to your presence in Christ. You hold off your righteous judgment that you might restore and renew them. O oh Lord, 
draw many in. That we might together sing of the great things that you have done for us. Things we did not deserve. That we might sing your praises, your glories, now and forever. Do this great thing for the sake of Christ, we pray in his name.